And now, Hangar 56 Media presents Spike's Car Radio, a downloadable cars and coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Here we are. And here we are. And here we are. And here we are. On Memorial Day. 2020. I know. A few days before we post this show. Happy Wednesday to all of you. But today it's Monday with us. It's a beautiful day here in L.A. It's a quiet day. Zuckerman just came rolling in in a 300 SL, which uh, I forgot you own that car. That, is, I, that could be the ultimate quarantine car. It, y- you were in it. You were in that kind of driving ether when you arrived, right? I was in that ether all the way from <laughs> West Hollywood down Sunset Boulevard. It was a glorious ride. Perfect temperature, perfect behavior of the car. Was Fantastic. that Carnesia that you were experiencing? As you were, had you forgotten about this car? The car was downtown, and the battery got weak. Uh. And I had that moment, I think you call it the Spadermats moment, where you do a minor repair to the car and feel excessive satisfaction. Named after James Spader. Yes. A phenomena he first noticed. And and he changed his mats, his floor mats, was that it? It was his mats. That's all he could do, is he changed the mats in his 911, and then he found he loved the car even more. That's exactly it. Now, the battery, what did you change? Well, you, the battery was weak, so I had to hook up a charger. And in all of these years, I have never had to do that on either the Gullwing or the Roadster because they have a battery cutoff switch that you just turn off the minute you're, you're finished with the car, and that saves the battery. So I had to determine where the battery is. There is a compartment behind <laughs> the passenger seat. You have to pull up the carpet. And then there is a a hatch with two Phillips head screws that you have to carefully remove so you don't scratch the leather. And therein is the battery. And it's kind of clever because you imagine it's a counterweight to you as the driver and it's in front of the rear axle. And I I got a charger. I hooked it up. I charged it overnight. And And it's perfect. I find batteries go every two years. Every two years, they suddenly just go down. Yeah. But I did love the car much more once I got the battery working. Are you confident now that the battery is going to hold a charge? It held it really well uh, last night. You you know the real test is tonight with the lights on. (laughs) Yes. What I think I'm going to do is I will order a new battery and have it on standby and probably change it out before too long. This is such a big step, Zuckerman. To be in advance? No, this is something I've been trying to get you to do, which is, you know, I won't even go as far as to say wrench on your, just start working on your cars, because look at how excited you are. I do this all the time. I love it, and I'm learning more and more about it. I've yet to put my hands into an engine, but I do the electric, I do the little thing, I'm doing stuff to the Zagato right now. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a a relay. Yeah, there's a little uh, directional relay switch that's malfunctioning. Those things are 50-50 anyways. They're like bad grenades. Um I can't wait. It's coming yeah, tomorrow. I've been waiting the whole weekend. I've been waiting till tomorrow. I need to drive that car. We should go out Zagato and 300 SL. The, the, the 300 we'll SL do that is, today. is such a technological tour de force. It's so unbelievably technologically advanced for the time yes. period in which it was created. And the sound of the, the mechanical, the direct fuel injection, the, the mechanical nature of it as you accelerate, it's unbelievable. This is great. 
we've got to get you a hydraulic lift in here. Why? And then, so I can squash you? No, so we can look under cars and do stuff to cars. This will be great. See how happy you are that you wrenched well, on no, it? Because okay, there was the, one of the original strip bars in San Francisco was Carol Dota's. She had the original a, what? Carol Dota was in one of the original strip bars. She had a piano. Strip bars. Yeah, she had. Okay, a, where are a you going door. with this? She had a, a piano on a hydraulic lift, and <laughs> the manager and one of the girls was having sex on the piano as it was going up and down, and they were squashed against the roof. This is one of your cases? No, no, this was in the '60s, Ferris. <laughs> I'm just giving you some. And where uh, do you where do you read a story like this in the '60s? You were a toddler. It was, it's kind of like now. Everybody knows it. Everybody, everybody knows, knows it? This. Oh, okay. Everybody knows Carol Dota. I, I think you're the only one in this well, audience. I'm sure Jerry There's would no know. There's no one right now listening to okay. this anywhere raising their hand going, yeah, I knew that uh, piano lift story. I'm going to tell you a story. You want to know how I know this? <laughs> Wait a second. Before you continue on, I just want to say, we have a great show for you today. Andreas Pruniger, president of GT Department, Porsche, is going to be uh, on the phone with us in a minute, all the way from Germany. So uh, if, if you're, you're getting bored of this conversation, just hang in there for a second. Oh, you're going to like this. <laughs> I know. I, I do like it. I'm just saying if there's anyone else there who, who clicked the button for Spike's Car Radio, Andreas Pruniger. Anyone else on the show? Our hero. No, we're just Andreas today. Calling from the Porsche factory. I couldn't be more excited. I mean, he's... He's the man. He's like, he's our, he's our hero. Mr. GT3. Right. Okay, continue. I'm going to tell you. And here's how I know the story. In 1983, my parents were in San Francisco for a medical convention, and me and my college roommate drove up, and my mother, a little bit crazy, said, you should go to Carol Dota's. There's this place. <laughs> and, and so she gave us some money. I couldn't believe she was sending us to a strip joint. I don't know what she thought it was. It was more of a clip joint. So me and Guy Glazer, a.k.a. Gus, we go to Carol Dota's. It's a really bad strip bar. We get, I've never been in a place like this. We sit in a booth, and these girls come and sit in the booth and say, can we drink champagne with you? So we go, of course. And we're spending the whole afternoon and early evening drinking with these two strippers, and it's time to leave. And the bill comes. I had no idea I was paying oh, for no. the strippers' drinks. And they wanted like $500. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah. And, oh, oh, man. And so, Boy, what a classic story this and then, is. But here's the best part. This yes. is a young Zuckerman in action. They came in, and I said, I'm not paying. And they said, we're going to call the police. And I said, for what? And they said, because you're not paying your bill. And I said, you're also serving underage drinkers <laughs> and so we can talk about that because i think i was only at that point i i don't know if i was 17 or 18 so they threw us out without making us pay wow yes your mom my mom sent you into that situation yeah, but it was a great learning experience yeah no we've all been there actually i haven't been there but <laughs> I got but I got the drinks for free. I was quite pleased with myself. That is pretty good that you got out of that situation. You're just now flashing me back to a moment where we went to a club like that when I was 16 years old in Massachusetts. It was so charming back then. What was it called? I don't even remember. But they just let us right in. See, it was with my friend Brian Jackson. And Brian Jackson was the oldest looking 14-year-old there was. <laughs> See, there was no older looking... He looked 28 at 14. Hairy monkey. Huh? <laughs> was he a hairy monkey? Yeah, and I believe I was 16, and he so he must have been 14. And But he looked like a dude, right? Just a ranch hand drinking Budweiser beer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. 
Man, we we went to the strip joint in Brockton, and they let us right in. And we sat there, and I remember there's this old-timey dancer up there dressed as a nurse, and she put her stethoscope on our chest. We couldn't have been more excited. This is one of the greatest moments of our lives thus far that she was doing. Um, Of course, when we left, and serving us alcohol, by the way, when we left, we had to tell all our friends at high school what had just transpired, which turned out to be a huge mistake. Because uh, both of us were dating these uh, very lovely young ladies. <laughs> who soon found out. <laughs> who very quickly, like within the space of an hour, it was like in the air, like COVID just, just were in our faces. That was my learning experience. Yep. One, Never just talk. keep your mouth shut. And two, you know, this is what jealousy, this is what, this is the type of stuff you shouldn't do. If you're dating this nice young lady... You shouldn't be doing things like this. We had two places in my hometown on Long Island, and of course, they were named perfectly. One was called Club Personal Touch, <laughs> and, and the other one <laughs> was The Tender Trap. The Tender Trap. <laughs> oh, The Tender Trap. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, indeed. These were good times in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah. You're getting uh, wistful now, Ferriston. You, you probably wish you were back there with Brian Jackson. No. No, I like Brian Jackson. I too, we talk good. Uh, these people are all on Facebook. We all get to communicate. But no, we t- we spoke about this last week. Yeah, I'd love to go back to Massachusetts. It'd be great. But <laughs> die, uh, die an early alcoholic death. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing fine. They're all sure. doing fine there. Sure, they all look like they're ninety. <clears throat> I'll tell you who's not though. Have you seen any of those uh, that that video of the Ozarks with these people just partying like there's no <laughs> pandemic? It looked like an episode of Jason Bateman's show, The Ozarks, like like this was some sort of money laundering scheme. It's a thousand people like in a pool by a lake, <laughs> just on top of each other. It shows so many different realities. There oh, are so wild. many different realities at one time. Well, we're all fine. We're doing uh, we're doing really well. A okay. Um, the 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 Zagato. I've been ringing it out. I've been driving it. And uh, putting together a little punch list for Mr. Wilhoit. Now, uh-huh. now we talk about this with newly restored cars, which, you know, newly built by Zagato, gone off to have some mechanical work. The 110-100 rule. Drive it one mile, put together a punch list. Ten miles, punch list. This is, I, I would say, a 100, 500-mile right. punch list that we're putting together. Um, the directionals, I, I think I have that, unless that's a grounding issue. I'll know that tomorrow. Uh, there is a small vibration coming from under the dash toward the end of the front boot. In now here, now if you're gonna if you're gonna report a vibration, you have to be able to recreate it, right? So thirty five. If you drive thirty five miles an hour in fourth gear, that's the decibel and the uh, whatever the vibration of the engine that makes this dash vibrate or under the dash. Now, last night, I think I narrowed it down to the windshield wiper arm. You know those old 356 right, motor wipers? Unit. <clears throat> those units, the arm, you know, they're just loose. It's a contraption, yeah. So I went under the dash, and I taped up the piece I think is vibrating. I will let you know. Um, that's all I have so far. That is all I have, that little vibration and this little uh, blinker relay switch. So I- I'm going to... Once I put that thing in here, I'm going to drop it back down here this week, and you've got to drive it a little bit. I will bit. drive it, and I really do think we have to ask Will Hoyt to machine an arm for the rearview mirror. The, yes. the listener should know that 
This has the 356 rear view mirror, which is fine for a 356 roof line and rear window. But we have yeah. such a cut down roof line and raked small rear window that you cannot see out the rear of the car, except I think within five feet of the back. You end of the could car, you if you were tall and you uh, needed to push your pa driver's seat back, you would have a perfect view. I, I did it the other day. It's actually if you were short and long-legged, though. Somehow your torso was quarter-sized <laughs> and your legs were... You have to be lower. Yeah, but you can so. make this adjustment. But it's... You know, I like thinking about this, Zucker, because this is one of those cars you can... You know, like a 550 or an RSK, you can put these little things on to make it more drivable, and it still becomes part of the, the lore of the car, right. right? There's no period correct, really. It's you're going to make this correct. With a car like this. I like to see what's coming up behind me, particularly when I'm in a small car. Yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, yeah, forget it. Forget it's a it. Diet Coke can. Yep. <laughs> if you get nailed, it's a Diet Coke can. Um, what did you drive today? I'm in the Aston Martin DB11 AMR. Wow. 630 horsepower of uh, Aston Martin greatness. <clears throat> I will tell you, this is the first... Uh, Aston Martin I've gotten in that I absolutely love. This is a perfect Grand Tour, two plus two. And, and they've got <clears throat> all these things that they figured out about, you know, these complaints we've had about Aston Martin, right? Again, I apologize <clears throat> for my voice. Phlegm. Well, I can't get my allergy shots anymore and all this stuff comes back. Anyway, this, this car, and Johnny Lieberman said it the day I got it. I put a picture up, hadn't driven it yet. And he goes, that's a really good car. Didn't know what he means. Now I know what I mean. And I discovered it on the highway, driving down here a couple times, that this is the car I would want to do a long road trip in. It is eminently comfortable and quiet when you want it to be, and a nice, big, fat race car when you don't. It leaps from 80 miles an hour to like 110 in a very nice, planted, lightweight way. And then you can take it out to dinner, take it out to the supermarket, have a nice little quiet drive, and you're actually comfortable. This, they got this car right, Zuckerman. Does it share a wheel, a, a platform with other vehicles? Well, the other DB11, I would bet. Yeah. It's just, I, I look at the car, I think it's really good looking, but then I start to think about how long the wheelbase is. It is a tremendously long car. It is, but car. you look at a 365 GTC4 Ferrari from right, 1972. Right. That's what that is, right? Right. And and that's the kind of, that's the what I like about it. That's the grand touring feeling about it. It reminds me of that car but unlike, you know, the Superleggera, which was a just a muscular brute, it's a different it's that's a British muscle car. Think of that as James Bond's getaway, right? Where he's sliding and going nuts. This can do that, but it can also do the the base basic 911 thing. My partner uh, Robert and I, we looked at a Superleggera. We were going to do a yeah, plan yeah. Z on it, but I really they're monsters. They're monsters, and I just had trouble wrapping my head around that yeah. price point. Is so this high. one would start. This one would seduce you. So I think st this sticker is around two fifty, and I don't know what you know. They didn't put a Moroni in there, so I don't know what the end result is. It's my Moroni. Only <clears throat> Moroni is um, the yeah MSM. Well, well, I didn't know. So yeah, we. Um, but I. But it. The one stupid thing it doesn't have it doesn't have Apple CarPlay. You gotta have that, all right. You gotta have that. And for some reason, I don't know if it's available in the DB11. It's just not in this car. And it 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 
it's needed. It's expected. Connectivity is expected. However, I do like this car a lot, and it really surprised me. So well done, Aston Martin. DB11, AMR, which I'm guessing what? Aston, Aston Martin, Martin Racing. Racing. Is that their version of AMG? Yes, sir. There it is. Now you know. Now you know. If you don't know, now you know. All right, in a minute, we're calling up. Should we call him Andreas or Andy Pruninger? I see him on Instagram as Andy Pruninger. I think we should. But I see him him. everywhere else as Andreas. Are we like Star Wars nerds talking to, you know, Jar Jar Binks? (laughs) (laughs) Who's the guy who created J.J. Abrams? We have some pretty big names on this show, Zuckerman. And yet, we're probably the most nervous about this one. Why? Well, why? Because he's, <laughs> he's the pope of our church. He's the pope of our church? Yes. It's he like, is? He's, he's the guy? He's the GT3. He's the guy that between yes. the gods of cars, yes. he, he translates. <clears throat> he does. From the gods to the people. You're he's right. So that, that's why. You know, uh, get ready for a name drop. If you don't want to hear this name drop, you should... Please don't take pictures of me while I'm talking. Oh, shut up. I don't. I like okay, the way not, I look I'm right deleted. now. It's already deleted. Go ahead. Okay. If you don't want to hear me name drop, you better. If you're too sensitive to hear a name drop, you should mute your uh, ears. Yes, right now. Just cover your ears. But Mr. Seinfeld no. uh, wrote a bunch of questions for us, too. I couldn't figure out the technological how to get everybody together for this one because we're, if you imagine, we got like a walkie-talkie with three mics sticking out of it. How to have Jerry call in and uh, Andreas from Germany, I couldn't figure it out right now. So uh, he's written a lot of funny questions too. Did you read his questions? If they, I did not see He admonished you for your questions. Did you see that? Yes, and then he felt bad, I could tell. He was nicer to me after that. He was? Yes, he was. Well, he was saying, this is my area of expertise. And he's right. And you should stop. But I, I liked your questions, Zuckerman. I thought your questions were kind of the same as mine. He, well, I think what he was saying was, those questions have been asked and you can Google them. And he is right about that. Except for the fact that most people haven't. And most people do want to hear the story of how did you get into Porsche and... and, and well, we're gonna get, I'm going to get into all yes. that. But there were other questions... Yeah, it didn't matter. That was just Jerry being catty. It was funny. He's being critical, yes. He's the, but I think the between the three of us, me, you, and Jerry, I think I've got it covered. I've got a list of all of the questions right here. The one thing I, you know, we all, we're always trying to get is information about future models, and I don't think we're going to get we're that. We're not going to get anything. We're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're not going to get any of that, nor do I think we upset Andreas. Maybe he'll offer a tidbit or two. But here, Zuckerman, listen. I'm listening. You're reading your phone. Listen. I'm looking at questions. You have one of those eagle... You have the highest degree of perception of any of the people I know, all right? The way Pruninger works and the Porsche guys work is they, they, they'll be in the middle of some mellifluous like, uh, description of something, but they'll drop a little clue in there. You have to hunt for the clues. So I want you to use that eagle ear of yours to go, now, wait a minute, in future... Her, just listen I closely, will listen okay? With my ears, and I will listen for the clues. He is extremely keyed up and nervous about revealing anything. You know that. I know, but he—they always will say a little detail, a little morsel, and then if you can hear that and call him on it, and he gets quiet, we know we have a, something. A morsel. It's a, in, I think in German, it's that's a schmitzig. A schmitzig. All right. Here's a free ad 
for my brother Wally Ferriston. You know who Wally is, right? Wally Your brother. Is, he's my brother, <laughs> not just my brother. I nicknamed him Wally because we shared a room for 18 years, and he has asthma, and he wheezed. So I called him Wally the Weasel. That's what I was like growing up. But now he's Wally Ferriston. Look at that. He's turned it into a positive. And you guys are Irish twins. I like that. <laughs> We're Irish twins, separated by 11 months, no birth control. Thank you, Roman Catholic Church. Anyway, he is the cue card guy for Saturday Night Live, for Jimmy Fallon, for Seth Meyers, uh, for all these shows in New York. Uh, cue cards by Wally is his company. And guess what? He's got a new business. He is selling personalized cue cards on the internet, Zuckerman. It's a birthday, it's a graduation, uh, maybe it's a funeral. I don't know. He will write out a cue card, just like the, the cue cards they use on Saturday Night Live, and uh, sign it, uh, make a little video, I think, and send it off to you for uh, a little bit for a of funeral. money. Applause. Yeah. Cry. <laughs> this is what he wrote. He goes, what you can get is anything you want written on the cue cards. <clears throat> it's original. You can be clever. I can help you decide. If it's your best friend's birthday, I can write live from Miami. It's Katie Smith's birthday or live from quarantine. It's me going crazy. Uh, these can be great birthday, graduation, anniversary gifts for you, your family, and friends. Okay, so here are the payment options for you. You don't need to know that. All you need to do is go to Cue Cards by Wally on Instagram. Cue Cards by Wally. It's C-U-E Cards by Wally on Instagram. And you can DM Wally or you can reach him at Wally at gmail.org. Cue Cards by Wally. Not Q-U-E. Do you think it's at gmail.org or gmail.com? I would say gmail.com. Gmail.com, yeah. Maybe that's the wrong thing. All right, let's try and get Andreas on the phone. Are you there, okay. Andreas? Thank you. I'm here. I'm here <laughs> all the way, 8,500 kilometers away in uh, beautiful Black Forest, Weissach. It's uh, half past six, so mainly the people have gone already. I'm the leftover here in the office talking to you. You're the last point of my agenda, but I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be in the show. Thank you for inviting me. We're now, now, do we call you Andy or Andreas? Which do you prefer? Um, Andy is shorter. Everybody calls me Andy. Um, Andreas, my mother, my mother calls me Andreas when I'm doing something wrong, or called me when I was a kid. So <laughs> I'm not used to Andreas. I don't like Andreas actually. I, I like Andy better. I would prefer. So, uh, yeah, I would guess. Call me Andy. I would guess it would be Andy because Andy is lighter than Andrea. There are fewer letters. <laughs> There's fewer, less uh, exactly in the exactly. name, and um, and it sounds better, <laughs> which is very important for my product as well. I think. Well, well, thank you for uh, joining us. Um, if you don't know Andreas Pruninger, he's the Porsche GT boss. He's the guy who makes all of our favorite cars. Um, you're here with uh, me and uh, the real Zuckerman. Uh, we are huge fans of your work, so we're so excited to have you here. And we just got a lot of questions about, you know, how you got your start in all of this. Um, I'm guessing, let's just start with your uh, Taproot car. What, what was the first car that you drove that, where you knew that you liked these things? Well, I have to really think a long way back. So the first personal car I owned and, 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 what, and what I loved it was a, a VW, actually. It was a VW Scirocco. <laughs> it was a Scirocco a GLI, and it was the comfort version, I'd say, of the GTI variant. So it was a very lightweight coupe. 
uh, with 110 horsepower, 1.6 liter four banger, and uh, and I modified it heavily. I put an exhaust on it and lowered it and put white wheels on that thing and um, sport steering wheel and everything. So really, I, I bought all the tuning shops empty almost. <laughs> it was dark green, had silver stripes, and um, it, it was a pretty fast car back then. It was a 79 model, when I remember right. And um, I turned 18 in 80, oh, I have to calculate, in 83. So it was four years old. It was already rusty. <laughs> um, so um, quality got a lot better these days. And that was maybe the first car that I, or my first car ever. And um, I, I modified it a lot and took st stuff out, like the rear benches and wanted more sound and uh, experimented with tires and so on. That was the first one. They were followed, I think, by several other VW Golf GTI 16 valves. And then I had this, uh, this uh, possibility to get a Lancia Integrale, a Delta Integrale. And that was that was a cracker back then. It was was a four wheel car, and then a rally former rally car was the homologation variant of a rally car, and that was the car that uh, that I loved most from the from these early cars. And on all these cars, I, I I was tuning a little bit and making them lower and making them a little bit faster, and um, that was how it began. So I, I loved cars, loved cars, and from the first point I had one, I knew I'm want to do in my business life i want to do something that has to do with cars I want to be an engineer and um, want to work on cars want to think about cars want to invent cars so that was pretty much when i turned 18 19 that these thoughts came up but um yeah the porsche thing started a little bit later and what what did you learn now you you weren't happy when you're modifying cars you weren't happy with what the stock volkswagen was delivering so uh, are there moments in these modifications like what what were you what were you seeking when you're modifying a Volkswagen Scirocco? Uh, it was it was mainly because I was uh, I was curious how how I could affect the car's behavior in changing whenever I changed something. Like what's the effect when you put in wide wheels and uh, then I put in wild put on wild wide wheels and wider rims and Noticed, okay, now the, now the center of gravity is too high because the car corners better, but I've got this nick and yaw and roll. So uh, I, needed, I, I needed a stiffer suspension. And then when the stiffer suspension, the lower suspension was in the car, um, I noticed, okay, the steering doesn't feel as good anymore. So I had to, had to, uh, had to try around a different brand of tires. And um, the aerodynamic thing wasn't too big because I was 18, 19, so and the car was going like, what, 100 and, 10 miles per hour so aerodynamic doesn't kick in big time at that speed but um that was more a trial and error game i was playing and um, i just was curious of what happened when i when i, when I did something to the car and uh, the lighter it got and the and the and the, and the better it cornered the, the better i felt about it and so it was a trial and error game and continuous improvement if you like <laughs> that continues until today yeah now where did you where did you shake these cars out where were you testing them well back then it was uh, mid 80s um, the autobahn wasn't as crowded as it is today so everybody in america thinks oh we're driving 300 kilometers per hour every day that's not the truth there's so many limited zones here and there's so much traffic so you you hardly can test a car on the autobahn or on a normal country road anymore because the traffic got so heavy. So back then in the 80s, so there was 
there was a little bit more space everywhere, so you could go to the Black Forest or to the Swabian Alps. There's winding roads that are really good and no traffic, no police. <laughs> That's an important <laughs> point as well, because um, we went fast that days, and uh, but it, it, it was accepted in a way, so nothing, nothing happened if you get caught. Otherwise, uh, today, it's a little bit different situation. Wow. Um, and, and friends, did they have their cars, or was this a lone venture out in the woods? I mean, you always look for friends that have the same, that, that have the mm -hmm. same interest in the same things. And uh, so we, uh, we formed a little group of uh, car nuts, young car nuts, <laughs> that Golf GTIs or all, the, all these little, little Opal 2-liters and all these hot hatches that, mm -hmm. we, uh, that we had back then. And uh, we met. We met on the weekends and in, in, in the garage of friends, and um, helped each other out with uh, working on the cars. We were like five or six, and five or six guys with different cars, and then we got more and more. And um, there was a, a little bit of a scene that was uh, developing around us, which was which was really really cool. It was uh, nice to hang out with the guys, have a beer in the, in the in the workshop, and talk about stuff we wanted to change on the cars and talked about uh, when we could afford what. <laughs> that right. was a, a big issue back then as well because we were still going to school or university. And um, so you have to be pretty inventive to uh, try everything out. And um, you have to know, had, had to know some people that could lend you some stuff that you could put on the car and evaluate. So it was, but it was a pure hobby. It was a pure hobby back then. So and um, that, that turned into a into a little bit of a more professional professional thing when I when I um, in parallel to my studies uh, I I hired by um, I hired at a, a, a magazine that tested cars it's the biggest magazine in uh, in uh, in Europe I think Automotor und Sport it's like car and driver or road and track uh, over in uh, in the states and um, uh, they let me they, they 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 let me drive the cars for photos so and I really took part of this uh, of this journalistic way of evaluating a car and uh, went with them to the racetrack every Monday, making the measurements like acceleration and top speed and stuff and uh, even even lap times. And I learned a lot from the guys that uh, were doing the testing back then. I was maybe twenty twenty four twenty five when I, when I started that and um, I almost spent every day there and uh, really working working for this for this for this magazine instead of going to the university. But what, <laughs> uh, the, re the, the result was the studies took a little bit longer than uh, I know I actually planned, but I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, from then on, I knew exactly I wanted to work for for a sports car manufacturer. Now that was the igniter, I would say. Is it? At some point, your dad takes you to Weissach R&D, right? Isn't that the moment where you right. make a decision that you want to work for Porsche? And, and if I'm not mistaken, I thought I heard you say once it was a 73911 RS that you saw that inspired that. Uh, both is partly correct. So the 72 Carrera RS was, ah. uh, was, a, was a poster that I posted uh, above my bed as a kid <laughs> in, my, in, my, in my room. So that was the first... That was the car I adored and admired most because it looked so fierce with its blue stripes and its duck tail. And uh, an uncle of mine had a 911, and um, I loved the sound of the car when he when when he visited us. And I 
I spent uh, spent the whole time circling the car or sitting in the car, and uh, <laughs> I think the car would have have to need windscreen wipers on the inside because I was playing <laughs> playing driving the car all the time. Uh, no, and um, that was uh, that was the story with the with the seventy two Carrera, which was the first nine eleven. I, I, I really that was the car that that, that drew me to the nine eleven. And um, later on, when I was uh, going to the university, my, my my dad was working in the in the in the supplier industry, had an appointment here in in Weissach, that I think it was mid mid to end eighties as well, or mid eighties more, and um, uh, he asked uh, he asked his uh, his his contact here if I could bring his if he could bring his son, and it was strangely a Saturday because we 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 we, wished we had to go on a day when nobody was working because he sold as a sales engineer the scale underneath the first wind tunnel here in Weisach. And so we needed a wind tunnel uh, when nobody was in to, to check all the, all the installations. So that was a Saturday. And we had to cross, we had to cross some, some workshops here. And I marveled at all the cars, all these 911 standing up on the, on the, on the stands. And uh, we were, we were um, looking a little bit left and right and uh, and I saw this um, this car that had uh, that had a drive shaft that went from the back to the front so it was the first mule of a C4 mm-hmm. so that makes it then and yeah makes makes it mid 80s that's correct and um, and I, and then I pointed out hey this is a, this is a four wheel driven 911 and then they snatched me away from it as I you shut up uh, <laughs> come on here it's, it's, uh, yeah, you can't go there because I, I deviated from the path we were we were, we were taking uh, through this workshop all the time and they they really had to had to catch me uh, all of the time and uh, get me get me back to my dad with a smile as a matter of fact but everything I saw here in Weiser when I was the first time over here was so fascinating and so intoxicating for me and yeah. uh, I said to my dad when we when we went home oh bad that's exactly the place I want to work for and that was yeah that was in the mid 80s and I was not I was just beginning or was in the middle of my studies right um, but 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 then this this absolute conviction was I have to work for Porsche when I get out of this uh, university you just knew right at that moment and so the stepping stone I think into Porsche is yeah uh, you weren't you at some point a Porsche driving st- school instructor Working up in the in the mountains. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was in my early days when I when I came to Porsche. So I, I hired here. Or my first working day was the first January of ninety of uh, ninety seven. Mm-hmm. Because I applied to Porsche in the mid nineties when I when I finished my studies all the time. I mean, for everything they 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 for for every for every uh, every job they. Um, they were advertising for I, I, I put into my CV, but uh, back then in the beginning of the 90s it was hard times for Porsche. They didn't hire, so I got all this uh, all these photos back, and it was it was really disappointing. But I kept going. I, I didn't accept that as a as a failure. So when I wrote them at least 20 20 applications at least, <laughs> and some of them stayed here because uh, really on my first or second day when I was here, my first boss. Came over to me and gave me all this heap of folders that that is collected here in the company. Is that okay? You can have all these all that back now. So you you finally made it. Wow, and, um, that's and he so said, funny. What I don't understand are the different colors of every folder has a different color. <laughs> They're looking like uh, like if all the RFs were parked in a museum. It was yellow. It was 
red, it was orange, it was green. <laughs> yeah, did you and, use uh, classic? I still have them, actually. Did I you use classic Porsche colors and, yeah, for those photos? Uh, on, on 97, I started here, and um, <laughs> and they asked me pretty pretty fast, pretty quick after after I, after I uh, began here, if uh, I would have interest in uh, being a sport driving school instructor because they knew I was coming from this automotive sport magazine because uh, I learned a lot there on the track and uh, some people noticed in my first days here that I know how to that I knew how to how to handle handle a car and that I was not too bad at, at, at explaining things and so I ended up at a sport driving school and it was 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 really cool to spend the weekends on the tracks and um, drive the cars and uh, meet the customers and uh, that was that was something I did uh, did very intensely right you know imagine being a driving instructor uh a scary job because you get guys in cars. Maybe you're going to drive you into a wall. But also, it's a good opportunity maybe to hear from the drivers what they love about a 911, what they love about a Porsche. And I would imagine that customer feedback uh, is important uh, to you as a GT car designer. And it's fun for you to hear that stuff. Absolutely. I mean, back then when I was a sport driving school instructor, which was only a second job, it was an add-on to your normal job, which would take place at the weekend, um, I, I like to, to hear the, 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 the comments and the, and, the, and, the, and the feelings of the people that owned the 911. And uh, what was really, really an experience I didn't, uh, I didn't expect was the passion that was behind all mm-hmm. that. The passion of the people and the relationship they had with their car. And um, everybody, I mean, the 911 seemed to be a thing for me that makes people happy, really uh, which is a healthy thing. Yeah? You have something that makes you happy because everybody loved it, and, but everybody was very involved with the 911. Everybody had like ideas how to be able to improve this or that and had their opinions. And um, I, I love this, this uh, one-on-one conversations with, uh, with, with the customers and it, uh, I saved that in my, in my memory somehow. It was, was, was a very important base platform of customer knowledge I needed uh, for the for, for, for the GT job that came a little bit later. But I, I quit being a sport instructor, sport driving school instructor, almost as soon as I um, was uh, doing the GT projects because uh, it just took too much time. And um, after a while, when when my, when my name got a little bit known in the in the small niche scene, um, you always had people calling you for days after after the weekend and wanted to wanted advice on this and that. That was just a, a little bit exhausting, and uh, but it was the time I I, uh, I had a family back then and uh, I had a, uh, to look uh, for the family at the weekends. But um, still, I was in a lot of in, in contact with a lot of customers. I still am, and uh, like to listen to them and talk to them and and, and, and keep this channel open. I remember a, con- a conversation you and I had in Atlanta over dinner over the upcoming 911R, and we were talking about weight reduction, and I was giving you all my harebrained theories on how much weight uh, should be pulled out of a GT3 to make a 911R, and uh, we, we were having a lot of fun. One of the things that I remember you saying is, you know, I tell a lot of customers, Spike, not you, but a lot of American customers, why don't you lose 100 pounds? <laughs> that will make the car much lighter. Oh, yeah, maybe, That's one of maybe. my favorite so, uh, 
I'm, moments. I'm, sometimes I'm too direct, but <laughs> maybe on, in, in that special, on that special, even on that occasion, as I remember, there was nobody in earshot that was too heavy. So that was, <laughs> maybe that, uh, no, but that you, made me made me say that. Well, you yeah, ma- but, you make uh, you were making a really good it point. It doesn't matter. I mean, no, no matter how much you weigh, you still you can be a freak for for light cars, <laughs> and um, that's fine. That's okay for me. Well, you made a really good point. And you, you were more less talking about that, though, because we were talking about people who take the air conditioning out of a car and 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 the buyers who take radios out, pulling too much stuff out for not enough weight reduction. And you were saying that it's it, in your opinion, it was not the right thing to do because a rainy day is going to come along and you're suddenly you're going to have, you know, fog in the inside of your windshield or you might want to listen to the radio or it's going to be hot. You want to have your AC on. Talk about like, you know, just with respect to ordering a new GT car, how far is too far with weight reduction as far as options? Well, it's a good question. It's a very individual question. But um, if you want to use the car, I would say, I mean, there's collectors, they hardly drive their car, which is a pity. Um, I know those people. They're most of them are in the U.S. Actually, they wanted the lightest spec possible, just for their own, yeah, for the, for the, for their own pleasure. And um, but there are others that drive the car. And if you drive a car on a regular basis, um, I, I don't think you should save on a, on an AC. And um, even for us, it is. We always discuss internally if we really want to offer one option like that, because um, even on the RS model, just to give you some numbers, um, less than 2% of the customers worldwide order the car really without AC. Everybody's talking about weight, but when it comes down to ordering your own personal car, everybody ticks the box of AC. Why? I mean, clearly. I mean, if you if if you if you drive a car without an AC through the rain, it's gonna fog up. I mean, when when we are testing cars, I remember a situation it was uh, some years ago. I think it was on the first JT4 on the 981. Um, I had to stop at the at the road at, at the filling station because it was raining so hard. I couldn't see out anymore because the car was fogging up completely. And um, you need for 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 de for defrost or not for defrost for for dehumidify a car you need an AC and um, in today's cars I mean we've got the cooler front of the car so all the cooling liquid passes underneath your seat to the engine goes back and forth it heats up a car pretty good especially uh, in, 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 in warmer temperatures and especially when you track the car so I think to make an RS slower just delete the AC. You might be lighter, but you're so exhausted after 10 minutes on the track, you have you, you want to get out and then take a breather. And uh, so you need the AC. It makes the car faster, actually. It makes you faster because you feel better. So the AC is something I, I really would recommend to, to, always, to, always, uh, to always put in the car. And it's standardly uh, included in the car. You have to deliberately put the cross on AC delete on an RS. So most, of, most, most, most people uh, wouldn't do that. And everything else, I mean, is um, it's, it's it's a very down to personal taste. I like PCCB brakes because they're really lighter. The rotors are a lot lighter, and they're un, they're, they're rotating um, unsprung masses. And if you compare back to back, they really feel better, even on the steering wheel. Um, you brake a little bit later, and um, the, the the response of the of the suspension is a little bit better. 
So this is something I'd, I'd, I'd really go for. So if there would only be three options I could take on a on a, on a GT car, it's definitely PCCB, definitely. And uh, maybe the most important um, option for me personally is the bucket seat. Mm. You need a good seat in the car. Yes. Where you sit low, where you have the perfect seating position, and it's lighter too yeah, than the than the than the sport seat. The biggest, biggest, the widest spread misinterpretation of uh, of our option list, I think, uh, from from talking to customers and from what I experienced, is people think the normal sport seats are more comfortable. They're not. They're comf- They're more comfortable to get in, more comfortable to get out. But the more comfortable seat for long journeys in the car, I drive 10, 12 hours in that seat, and I'm, and, and I'm sensitive in, in my back because I'm a tall guy. I have never anything. I mean, I, I, I'm getting out like I got in, and that is not the case on a sports seat. Also, it's a little bit more lushly upholstered and mm-hmm. looks maybe more comfortable. At the end of the day, it is. So always go for the bucket seat. I know they're expensive, but they're light. They look good. They increase the, the value of the car and they increase the fun you have in the car because you get more into information into your body. There's more information and there's more conversation between you and the car if you sit properly in the car and if you're, if you're, if you're um, engulfed in a seat, definitely. Okay. So it's PCCB, it's the, it's, the bucket, it's the bucket seat, and it's uh, don't delete the radio. You want to you wanna, you wanna listen to Spike's uh, radio, right? You want to listen to some ACDC. Uh, you want to listen to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you a classic rock fanatic? Don't you love ACDC? Isn't that your band? Uh, it's it's one of my bands. I got a lot of bands. And, um, <laughs> ACDC is clearly a band of my youth. I love their guitar riffs, so and um, I love to work on my amplifiers and guitars to get exactly that tone. It's a it's a little bit of no obsession of mine, and um, but I love all kind of classic rock. I mean, I even like the Stones. The Stones are a little bit older yeah, than me. Yeah, they're great. But um, I like I like their music, and uh, but I, but I like the newer stuff as well, or newer like the '90s stuff, like Green Day, Offspring, this garage rock thing. And it has to be melodical, and it has to have a lot of guitars in it. Yeah, I don't like this lead lead uh, guitar sound so much. I like the rhythm. So my favorite band is Status Quo, but um, it's not so well known in uh, over in uh, in the states, I think. But um, let me, my, my, let, my favorite, actually, and people, if you're into rock, look out for that band are the Lazies. The Lazies from Canada, they're, they're from Canada, I think. <laughs> great band, great rock. You know the Lazy Suckerman? <laughs> I don't know that. I'm going to look it up though. Yeah, we'll have to look those up. All right, here, wait. Here's another option question for you. The one. I know everybody wants me to ask the the question. I'm sure a million people have asked you. PDK versus manual when you're specking out the car. Wow, this. Now, now here, <laughs> let me be more specific. I rem- yeah. Let me be more specific. Huh? In a GT, vi- in a GT3. I vividly remember the first discussions we had when we uh, brought out the 991 first gen. We couldn't. We, we could only afford to develop one gearbox for the car, and it was the PDK because right. it was faster. We were under pressure from the from the competition. And um, but our approach was so much different um, to the to the more automatic transmission approach to the standard Carrera, and I think at the end of the day, I, I had to do a lot of tar- talking, in, in, in including the 
the the the the, the, the quote uh, that uh, slipped me shut up and drive <laughs> when 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 people were talking to me about right, the theoretical exactly. things and the car was standing there hey, drive yourself shut up and drive um, <laughs> yeah I think uh, if you have the choice it's a very good thing so we are always we're looking for giving the customer the choice his own choice whether to take a manual or a PDK on the first generation 991 we couldn't because uh, a manual transmission was not in the budget of uh, developing it at the same time. Um, we did it on the second gen then, which was welcomed and pr found praise all over the world. And now we have the lucky situation that we have both. My personal opinion, um, very hard because I've got a, a board with a lot of keys on it, as you can imagine. And for me, really, it's a matter of mood, which mood I'm in. Mm. Do I want to shift or do I want to enjoy a PDK? Um, the way it is executed in a second gen GT3, it's so emotional, it's so much fun. I mean, this all this, this, uh, this acoustical thing and add on, I would say, the PDK has, you cannot, you cannot get that on a normal, on a normal manual transmission, the downshift, the blipping. Um, it's, it's, it's really very emotional. It's so much fun. Even when, when you, when you, especially when you're short shifting, like if it's a little bit rainy and you, shift lit like three quarters of a throttle opening at 5,000, bang, bang, bang. That's a lot of fun. Um, but if you put the pistol on my head, I would say if I would have to choose a GT car to keep forever and it's only be one. Drum roll, please. I might turn into a manual because yes. I'm getting old. I'm 50-ish now, a little bit more. And um don't want to spend all my weekends at the racetrack anymore, <laughs> and I just enjoy shifting so much. If wow. the shifting mechanism is perfect, there's so much shifters out there that, that are not worth mentioning. You have to get it right. It has to be fun. It has to be rewarding. Um, um, and that, but I think you can say that for... What was the... Uh, here, let me ask you this. Out of the, all the GT cars that you've worked on that have come out of your department, what's the one car you feel like, or the first car where you went, you know what, that's the one we got right? I think we got all the cars right because uh, I'm, I'm a very stubborn guy when it comes to perfection of the final product, and, and so are so is all my team around me. We're really, really very concerned that the customer gets 100% uh, because we consider ourselves the customer because we drive the cars the same as the customers do. Um, Luckily, we don't have to pay for them, but uh, we don't own them as well. That's a, that's a downside. Um, I'm happy with all the cars, to be to 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 be to be frank with you. And it's not a marketing or not not I'm evading your question. I mean, it's the same thing. If you ask a father of ten children, and you ask him what's your favorite child, uh, you wouldn't get a clear answer. I think. Yeah. Well, um, if you give him a, a couple of beers, I really enjoy the GT2 RS. <laughs> most Ooh. because when i have to travel through germany somewhere this torquey engine this 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 brute of a car yes it can really be so entertaining yes but at the same time i mean during this corona shutdown we just experienced the car in my garage i used most because i took it out of the company um yeah to, to have something to drive and to to some evaluations and um yeah just because I wanted to something to drive so that, a GT car. So wait, the GT2 RS was the car you I were driving the, the most? The, the depart. Excuse me. The GT2 RS was the I didn't car get you. That. The GT2 RS. No, was... no, it was not the GT2 RS. It was a Spider. 
It was a 982 Spider, an oh, open wow. car, manual transmission. Um, we have this wonderful green shot, one. It looks almost like British Racing Green with gold with uh, golden wheels. I really loved that car, and I did a lot of miles in that thing. And it was such a such a rewarding drive. I wouldn't have traded in traded it in for anything else at the moment. <clears throat> when the weather is good, I really like like an open car. Right. Um, the same goes for the Speedster, and um, so it's 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 really depending on my own driving mood I'm in. Right. Let me ask you this: I, I had heard um, I was talking to uh, someone I know, and who also knows you, and he said that you said about the GT2 RS. Hold on to that car, because we're not going to be able to make anything like it again. Does that? Uh, I can't hear myself talking like that. But, <laughs> I mean, if you have a G2RS, yeah, you should hold on to some to, to it absolutely, because um, I mean, we're always trying to uh, to up the ante. I would say with the with the cars we do, and I think we owe that to our customer base. Right. But it gets it gets. More and more um, difficult, I would say, uh, to meet all the worldwide regulations like emissions right. and uh, sound and, uh, and, and sound emission as well. So um, all the all the rule makers, all the all the different uh, different different countries want the cars to be uh, quieter and quieter. Uh, I think this is a this is a big thing on a GT car is, is, is how it sounds and, and how it transmits emotion over the air. For others outside, maybe not as much as the one that's driving it. But this is this is part of this race car, um, yeah, this race car gene thing uh, that, that you hear the car have. And um, I, I, I can I can I can openly say that uh, when I look at the at the uh, at the rules and, and laws that are coming up uh, in the in the mid twenties, I would say um, I, there's just no legal possibility anymore to make to make a car that that sounds so emotional and has such, such so much voice um this it, is uh definitely definitely a point is that i think technology gives us opportunity hmm? is that the most difficult mm-hmm. thing you deal with with future models as far as the constraints put on by other countries is it sound the biggest one or fuel efficiency or weight or what is your biggest challenge when designing these future cars Sound is only one of them. I mean, so noise emissions. Uh, I think sound is a very, very, uh, very important uh, USP of our car, and uh, we need, as uh, this is our high revving six-cylinder engine that has a relatively low displacement for its for its power. We we need to have a free-flowing exhaust, and uh, we don't have an engineering target make the car loud. That's definitely not the case because the sound comes uh, through the through the surge of horsepower. We need a free-flowing exhaust with less restriction with low restriction and and physically uh, this is loud um, if you have a lot of space available a lot of package space that you can put in a, an exhaust with a lot of volume what you can when the engines in the front and the exhaust at the back but that's not the case in the 911 there's limited space we can use for dampers so this is this is only one challenge emission side is another one especially over here in Europe you you're in America you're 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 not as Strict what emission uh, what emission uh, regulations um, when it comes to emissions uh, emissions relations when it comes to emissions regulations what a difficult world my goodness um, 
but uh, we want to homologate the cars worldwide, so we have to meet all the all the targets of the different countries. That's one thing, uh, which is uh, again something that uh, influences uh, max power, because uh, if you want max power and max revs, um, you have to put in gas, as a matter of factly, and uh, um, you have to uh, you have to you have to fit in all catalytic converters and. Uh, uh, other filters in the in the exhaust system, which takes up space and clogs it up. So this is another thing. Another thing is weight as well. The crash regulation, safety regulations, uh, they're harder to meet on every model I, uh, I, uh, I made in the last 20 years. It was always the point almost that you have to 50 to 70% of the engineering capacity you have, you have to invest in um, getting the same performance out of the new car fulfilling new regulations um, in comparison to the old one and the rest of your capacity you can use to make it better uh, this is a this is a rough guess this is just to to to, to get to, to to give you an idea how we have to cope with ever changing uh, regulations worldwide and um, this is the challenge definitely and uh, if you look at tires for example tires have to be have to be good in the rain tires have to be as quiet as possible, and that influences how good they are on road holding. Um, if there's laws coming out that the tire noise can't exceed whatever decibels, um, then the tire manufacturers they have to put in stuff that is making them less noisy. But um, the problem is to find a way to make them even stickier than the one before, which, which calls again for a lot of knowledge, technology, time, money, uh, to get all that right. So we always uh, are chased a little bit by the worldwide boundary conditions. Uh, that's a challenge. But it's fun. And uh, till now, uh, I think we, we succeeded. So I wouldn't say that there, would, there, would, there will not be another Porsche that's as good as a GT2 RS. Um, I don't think I don't think that would be true. <laughs> but it's very hard. It's, it gets harder and harder to do something like that. Was that the comment, Zuckerman, right there when he, he yes. talked about the GT2 RS when he said, I would it's, think, yes. was that the one we were listening Maybe. closely for? Maybe. Now, Andy, <laughs> Andy, this is Paul Zuckerman. I, had, I was fortunate enough to have two 997 4.0 RSs in my, and, and they were, that, was a very, wow. I was, that was a very limited production car, 600 cars. But I noticed, and uh-huh. I noticed I had a white one and a black one. The black one seemed to be a better performing car. Is it possible that with such a limited run that individual cars can have different personalities or vary? Or was it my imagination that I was just thinking the black car was better than the white car? In, in what regard? Road holding, precision, steering, field, performance of the engine? I found the performance of the engine in the black car better. Um, I found the sound better, uh, and I found the clutch to be slightly less heavy. Mm-hmm. But the engine seemed to I mean, rev a little we, freer. The acceleration was a little, uh, slightly stronger. Um, did you did you compare it back to back, or was it just a feeling when you operated the car? It's just a feeling when I operated it. And that's exactly the problem. Yes. <laughs> no, I mean, yes. I mean the, the, the performance, let's, the let's, let's, let's address the first point. Engine performance, RS4 liters. Um, in that time, and that goes for today as well, 
um, we uh, we uh, we every every uh, engine before it came to the car had a dyno test, and um, so we monitor in Suffenhausen every engine, and um, I can easily say that there was not one engine in the bunch of 600 that was like more than four or five horsepower apart from 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 the other so the so the the, the the bandwidth uh, of these deviations is very very was very very low on that cars um so it can be that over run in time i mean it depends a little bit how you brake in the car mm. um it always uh, is a good idea to give the engine a little bit of uh, an easy time in the first let's say 1000 1500 miles that doesn't say trundle around at 2,000 RPM, but uh, drive the car properly, warm it up properly, all that thing. Slight, slight changes or slight, slight differences can develop uh, if you if you if you if you treat the car differently. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. On the gearbox, they should be all the same, I'd say. Um, maybe there was some production or even some supplier um, uh, some some supplier differences in. Or variations in the, in the in the parts behavior. I don't know. So we 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 have a lot of cars mostly uh, when we're doing the development work that are one and the same, and every car has a little bit of its own personality. But we found out that if we check the car thoroughly, if we align it and corner weight it exactly the same as the as the one next to it, then they feel the same. Mostly the the the, the, the difference and what uh, what you feel on a car comes from a setup that's not exactly right or exactly the same than on, on another car. So I rarely hear that on, on drivetrain uh, issues like, like like you tell me now. So yeah. I, 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 can't, I can't second that well, from the, my point. The car is Maybe long. with the white car, something was wrong. I don't know. Let me, let me ask you this, Andreas. Um, those cars, uh, collectors really value those cars. And the values of those 997 GT3 RS 40s are really up high, some, some as high as $700,000. You know, Zuckerman and I feel like what? That, really? Whoa. that is a, a pinnacle moment as far as GT3s are concerned. If there's just if there's one modern GT3, it's the 4.0. And, and I think a lot of collectors feel the same way as evidenced by the price of the cars. Do you feel like that car is 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 a, one of your masterpieces the way we do? It definitely is one of the most famous GT cars we brought out because I think it came exactly at the right time with the right message and with the right looks. Uh, it was different because nobody dared to put a put a white car on a white car on the market and white wheels and then four liter and and, and uh, the, 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 the whole package was very attractive. Was very attractive, and I think it, the car was really special. I have to confess that. Um, we we had the RS four liter as a matter of fact with us. So I have some of those cars still. When we go testing with a newer model that is uh, that falls in the same category, we always have the old famous cars uh, in best possible conditions with us uh, wow. uh, to drive them back to back with the newer cars as a benchmark. And um, almost everybody on the team when we, we when we've been out testing with the 911R um, like the RS four liter very much for what it is, for the special atmosphere it created. But um, everybody said, okay, the 911R is just a bit more fun yeah. uh, because the clutch works a little lighter and the yes. seating position mm-hmm. is not as, let's say, yeah, 
old, yeah, old fashioned. It's you see it a little bit different in the 991, especially in when you when you when you look at where's uh, where's the shift lever. It's farther down on the on on the 997, which when you go back from a 991 into a an, into a, a 997, uh, you have to really adjust for that. Um, it takes takes a while. It's a great car, but it doesn't offer the same performance as as, as, as the modern cars. If you drive them back to back, the fun factor still is is, is, is about the same. But um, I wouldn't. Uh, therefore, I wouldn't say that that was the best GT3 there was because the successor always had a little bit of an advantage um, uh, about the car that it succeeded, and. That's the same with the RS4 liter. I mean, a 991 Gen 1 3.8 uh, PDK is definitely faster than a, than a RS4 liter. Mm -hmm. Despite having only 475 horsepower on paper, add a little bit more in the, in the engine as well. And, um, and the GT3 RS is a little bit different animal. It's, it's more like a, uh, uh, a crossover between a driver's car and a performance car. The 991 GT3 is more the performance car, and the 911 IRR was the driver's car. So we split up a little bit. Because in former times, taking everything out of the car made it a performance car, and that was the right and proper way to do it. But uh, with the help of technology coming around that makes a car faster, um, you sometimes have to invest in that technology first, and, or as well in a GT car. Look at the rear-wheel rear, rear steering. Everybody sneered at us. How can you put in something like that on a GT car? But um, after everybody drove, they said, yeah. okay, you were right. Uh, because it just helps, makes the car more agile. Exactly. And helps performance and helps create smiles on the faces. Okay. So, um, let me, let me... Sorry, I can't answer that question. Maybe the way you want to hear it. No, no, that was a <laughs> lovely <laughs> answer. Yeah. That was great. Um, I know we can't talk about future models, but we can talk about the 992 it just it, as far as future models in general, how does it work? Like, what's the process? How far how far out do you plan? You're creating a new 911, the 992. You know, uh, how does it work with the the stuff that's coming down the pipe? <clears throat> do you guys get together and pitch ideas um, like, hey, let's do a 356 or let's do a 550 Spider or you know, uh, it's it's a lot more complicated. We're a big company. We're a big company. Right. I mean, in former times when we were uh, when we we're doing homologation models for the for the for, for the for the motorsport, which the GT3 generally is, um, we took the platform that we had from the from the standard car, like the Carrera, and and and, and, and got our ideas how we can make it fa how, how how it can be made faster, aerodynamically better. And uh, it was more a sequential process in the 996-997 era, I would say. With the 991, we started to uh, um, to be in the in the in the first development and concept teams of a new Carrera platform, pretty uh, pretty at the same time with this, with the series development guys, because uh, you have to build in the capability of a GT3 and and, and, and a Cup car into the platform. So there are some. Some things you have to uh, you have you, you have to make possible from mm -hmm. from day one, because uh, if you have to invest heavily in changing the body in white uh, after it's already in production, um, that's a lot more money and a lot more headache uh, than doing it right the first time. So um, we were in this concept teams, and in 992 especially, you know, we were from day one uh, on the table. Me personally and my and my, and my guys, 
um, yeah, to uh, hold up the GT flag and say, okay, we need this like that. So the wheel well has to be wider because uh, we need to fit in our tires and we need that and this and that. Uh, from the flexibility or the rigidity of the body in white and all this uh, aerodynamical um, parameters. So the body in white, especially on the, on the rear of the car, has to endure a lot of load from, uh, from an, from, from an uh, RS or GT3 wing. So the, so, the, so the wear and tear on the body in white or the, 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 the strength that goes into the body in white on a GT car is uh, in, in some uh, parts of the car totally different to a standard car. And all that has to be uh, put into the calculations and the development of the, of the, of the basis of the platform. So um, we're pretty much uh, there from day one so, in modern days. Uh, so there's no, there's no big pitch meeting. Like, you know, I'm trying to get, you know, how does a car like the Carrera GT come along? How does a car like the 918 Spider come along? You know, I, you know, as someone who's not part of the car business but in the entertainment business, you know, we have a we have a pitch session. You know, uh, and I imagine if I were in a room at Porsche, I'd be saying right now, "Hey guys, let's make a uh, a road going street legal RSR for everybody." How about that? You know, do you guys have a meeting where you just you pitch ideas and have some fun? Um, it's a, there's two ways of doing it. And the, the, the way we are doing it, or we are doing it since, since the three team products are online, I would say, um, the idea for, for, for variant, like the RS version, the first 996 RS for ex, is a good example. Um, it was just, it, 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 it was, it's mostly an idea that comes from, from within the team. And, um, mostly that it's not marketing coming to us that okay we need an rs first it has to be looked like it has to look like this and that it mostly comes from ourselves or not mostly in every in every aspect the speedster for example i had this in my in my uh, in my desk drawer uh since the 996 we wanted to do a speedster but it never fit in the the whole cycle plan wow, and the production and in the, in the production plan and we couldn't realize that and the rs4 leader was the same i mean there's mostly the initiative or the igniting factor is on the RS4 liter, for example, was the engine. So we had the R, the, 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 the GT3 R, the race car, uh, that had the 4.0 liter a year or so before, uh, or more than a year uh, before we uh, we have started the development of the of the street going variant. So we have ideas what is used in the in the in the in the motorsport and said, okay, that would make a, a great and successful and and and, and absolute cool engine for a streetcar and so we uh we are we are, we are drawing some 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 sketches and get together all the all the data from all the different uh, different parts of uh, of motorsport like drivetrain development and body in white and interior and uh, suspension and put them put together a package which ends up in a car and then we have a proposal and we go to the board Sometimes we build up a car even and show the prototype, pre-prototype uh, in the flesh. So, so we did with the Speedster, so we did with the 911R. So the car was uh, already already done um, one time, one prototype, with all the ideas already in and you could feel it. Uh, you could drive it, you could sit in it, you could smell it, you could hear it. Uh, that's uh, a lot more convincing most of the time than only having a sheet of paper with an idea that you have to present on PowerPoint in a board meeting. Mm -hmm. So um, 
this goes for the for the for this for the special models for these edition models i would say but the overall the overall life cycle of a product like the 911 i mean the whole company is uh, is involved with that the marketing guys the markets even so they know what kind of car sells well they know what kind of cars um, the customers uh, want in the different markets and and this leads to a, to a, to a great pitch meeting i would say to some pitch meetings and uh, so we formed the product substance of the of the of the cars to come. Um, on the 911, for sure, it's relatively easy because there will always be a 911, and the 911 needs an S variant, and it's a turbo variant, and now it needs a GT3 variant because it's so ex- it's so uh, it's so um, successful on the market. So uh, that, that that's not a big uh, a big question of of, uh, of of what car to do, how to do it, with what product substance, which is. Uh, befitting our product line and which is uh, credible for the product and, 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 and which uses all the technology that's available at the moment. That's more the point. What a but wonderful this, uh, answer. These high-end versions, these high-end cars, mostly are Skunk Works projects mm-hmm. that come from within the team and get proposed. Okay, before we go, I just want to ask you a couple questions about your own uh, personal uh, love of cars. Uh, what classic car that you don't own, money no object, would you want? A classic car from the past. Oh, the garage would be full. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, give me I three. Adore, Go ahead, give I, me three. I, I, I mean, if if it would be, if I only had one car, one sports car, it would be um, not not one of my products. To be honest, it would be a Carrera GT. A career. I ah. really love that car. I yes, love the sound of the engine. I love the way you sit in it. I love the way the package is, the mm-hmm. manual gearbox, the howling engine note, and the performance of the car. I, I just love the thing, how it looks. So this is my maybe the, the, the most desirable car for me personally that I would buy. I would buy a 365 Ferrari Daytona convertible as well. Why? Uh-huh. Because I am absolutely in love with Miami Vice. <laughs> so I love this car, this, this black, uh, and it was a replica. I know it was a McBurney yes. replica. And if anybody out there listens, they have a McBurney replica for sale in black, in, in, in black with uh, the white wheels with the Burani spoke wheels, give me a call. So I might, definitely might be in the market for one of those uh, because the 350. Uh, that would be quite a sight. Daytona is not affordable anymore. <laughs> I like Lancia Delta Integralis. I'm looking for some car like that for just a while, for, for quite a while now. I had three of those, and I would like to have one again because it's just an emotional great oh, car. Wow. I, have, I own a 993 convertible already. That's the, that's the Porsche I own. I will own a GT car sooner or later. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, what I imagine with the idea to get myself a 991 uh, second gen touring. Yeah. I really think this car ticks a lot of boxes for me. Um, it does, yeah. Yeah, and there are so many other cars. I, I, I really, I mean, I love muscle cars. I mean, an, an, an old 60-ish Camaro or a 65 Mustang or GT500 Shelby. Yes. I love that things. I mean, wow. I love big V8s. I'm, I'm a boater, so I, I, like, I like boats, and, and so I, I love the V8 rumble. And I'm really happy I can hear mine again at the weekend. But I think they're, they're doing a great job in cars as well. And um, I definitely, when I had a garage of 10 cars that I could buy, there would be definitely at least two or three American muscle cars. In it. And, I, oh, and, I, and I already own a Dodge Ram with a V8. Yeah. The yellow one with black stripes. Nobody knows that. That or, makes sense. So um, I find it very interesting to have this American 
uh, muscle cars as well in the collection. What, what else? BMW M3 CSL, lovely car. That would be definitely one I would look out for. Um, I like Ferraris as well. Maybe I shouldn't say that. But the 458 <laughs> Speciale is a great car. Great car. A lot of fun. And um, what else? That's uh, cars. That, Andreas, we're, we're, we've run out of time. What a wonderful interview. Thank oh, you. I really enjoyed so chatting so with you. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time out on this Memorial Day here in the United States to uh, chat with us. And um, when you're in Los Angeles and this whole thing is over, we'd love to have you in studio so we can see your face and you can, oh, he yeah. you can hear us properly. <laughs> and uh, we can continue talking about uh, the 992 uh, series, which Zuckerman and I both love. You know, we, we love this new 911 a lot, that's, and we're excited about what the future that holds. Would, that, would, that would be an honor, and uh, I can only tell you so much. If you love the 992, you will absolutely love the 992 GT3, that's wow. for sure. <laughs> that's wait. what we wanted to hear. All right, very good to uh, chat with I you do. again, sir. I, I, I do already, so I can give, the, give that away. I do that already. <laughs> it's, uh, it's amazing. Definitely. Really? Oh. Maybe that's the thing that keeps me from, from, from buying myself a GT car, because I always know what's coming next. Right. And I always say, okay, I, I wait for that one. And then I wait for another one and another one. But yep. someday I will retire, so I have to make my mind up someday I you think. know you know our friend jerry seinfeld said he really wants you guys to deliver some of these cars with the test mule package on the outside so the spy shot test mule plastic on a gt3 so maybe consider that <laughs> it, it's very nice to chat we'll with you that's all we have ladies and gentlemen we'll talk to you next week on spikes car radio thanks for listening to spikes car radio brought to you by hangar 56 Listen to new episodes every Wednesday and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.